how's it going? You're listening to the Hunting for Candolins podcast. I'm your host, Neil, or Candolins if you prefer. And it's been a whole year of no episodes. I had a few options to interview a few people. I just didn't think of any good questions for them. So I decided not to do interviews until I was ready to interview some people. I also didn't get much feedback, so I wasn't entirely sure if I was just sort of talking to a a blank wall. It's been fun doing it, though, with my friends organizing it. So if you have any, uh, if you want to hear more Hunting for Candlelights, let me know, even if there's, like, negative things you want to say about it. But let's get down to the point here. So on today's show, we'll have me talking about music from 2014, a book review by Dan Hartman, then Mike talking about music he liked in 2014, and then a song. We're going to run down our top ten songs of the year. And for me, what that means is these are the top ten songs that that I couldn't get out of my head and that I wanted to hear over and over again. And a lot of times it's sort of the sentiment of the song that just was sticking with me at that point in the year. What I do is I add songs to Spotify every year and... When I'm in that point when I'm really am into a song, I add it to the list. So there I get a pretty good idea of what I actually listen to over the year instead of being at the end of the year and just kind of being like, oh, yeah, I think Jack White had a good album. So Mike is also going to do the same thing of his top ten songs. And these aren't necessarily songs from 2014. They're just the songs we're really into this year because... That's what happens with people is sometimes listen to old music, sometimes listen to new music. So I'll start my list here. Number one was Seasons Waiting for You. That was the first one I put on the list. Future Islands. I saw them on Letterman, as a lot of people did, and was really impressed with their performance. Um, Just how almost cringeworthy it was, and yet they pulled it off with such confidence. The sentiment of the song also just... I mean, it was it was clearly the best song on the album, and I did have some issues with the album, um, but overall, I had to hand it to them. It made that that song made the top ten list, or the top song of the year for a lot of people. So, good job. And uh, number two, this is "Chasing Cars" by Snow Patrol. Yeah, pop song, kind of old, not really something you would think I'd like. But I heard that song again this year, and there's something I really like about it, where it reminds me of sort of depressive points in people's lives, where they almost want to draw somebody else into their immobility, and that's what it, it spoke like to me. And there's there's lines in that, you know, that speak to a, an aging person, it's like, uh, forget what we're told before we get too old. Number three, An Ocean and a Rock, Lisa Hannigan. I'm not sure if I would pick, say now that this was, you know, the song that I listened to, but this kind of signifies that I was really getting into Lisa Hannigan at this point of the year. I guess, um, should we say it's around the thir- third of the year? Uh, I started listening to her podcast, and uh, I first heard Lisa Hannigan 
she did a part of a Nick Drake concert. I really liked her version of, of one of these things first. I'm sorry, of Chime of the City Clock that she performed. And you can see that on YouTube. They have the whole Nick Drake concert on there. And her voice is uh, literally she could just get money from reading bedtime stories because she has the most soothing Irish um, lilt that you'll ever hear. Number four, everybody's got to learn sometime, the Corgis. This is a song from the 80s, which I don't think I had really paid that much attention to. And I know there's a good version of uh, of it by Beck in in the uh, movie. What was it? The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotlight Mi of the Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Is that it? I think so. Uh, but I like the the original version, and I know this is something again with uh, being a, a father. This is the theme, a, a sentiment that always comes to mind um, when I'm raising my kids, and they sort of discover something new about life. For instance, uh, maybe my son will say, so-and-so didn't want to play with me at, at on the playground today. Um, you know, something like that, where you just realize that no matter what or how much you want to shelter shelter people, they're going to get to these points where they're just going to have these same experiences that you had, the both, both the good and the bad, and they're just going to have to learn about life and relationships um, the same way that you did. Number five, Damien Gerardo, Silver Catherine. Um, I really liked this Damien Gerardo album. I didn't quite like it as much as Maricopa, and apparently it is sort of a sequel that they they tell some sort of a uh, some sort of sci-fi story, which I have not been able to figure out. It's something to do with a town called Maricopa, where a lot of people, everyone has a name that begins with silver. So you have Silver Timothy, Silver Catherine. I don't really understand what goes on in the city. Um, I just know that a lot of songs have come from it, and I'm, I'm really curious to hear more and see if he ever kind of explains what's going on, because I haven't been able to figure it out. But this is probably my, my favorite off the album, and there's a, both a version that's on the album and a, a version that came on the, uh, the bonus disc, which was also really good. Silver Catherine, Damien Gerardo. Number six, Old Pine, Ben Howard. Uh, this is just a beautiful song. It's a little bit moves towards the territory that I'm not as comfortable with, which is sort of that um, contemporary folk, maybe Mumford and Sons, um, Ernest guys. There's something a little bit polished about this that I didn't necessarily like a lot of his other songs that I've heard. Um, but this one, this one was really good. Um, Old Pine, Ben Howard. All right, number seven. By this point in the year, uh, I started to get into Judy Sill, and Mike had actually tried to tell me about her before, and I had gone home. I'd, I'd met him out in Portland, and I went home. I downloaded a couple songs, and I thought, these are kind of interesting in kind of a, a faux, naive sense. Um, I didn't really think I'd get, get that into her. But then, um, I don't know exactly what it was that made me start listening to her again. I think I... Maybe just said, oh, I'll just listen to a couple more. And the more I found out about her, I realized that she wasn't this sort of naive songwriter. She was actually a woman who had a lot of experiences even before she got to the point where she was recording. And this, these songs just really grew on me. I became really fascinated with her. And so I had to decide what song should I pick to represent that on here. So I picked this one. It's called The Phoenix. And why I picked this, it's one of the shorter songs, one of the more folky songs. And 
but there's a sentiment again with sentiments there's a sentiment I really like in it which is um, I'd like to think I'm being sincere but I'll never know and to me that's the the central um, idea at the the central problem with being a, a writer or being a, a songwriter or a poet is no matter how hard you try to try to get at the, the, the crux of something of how you're feeling you don't really ever know if that's just another layer um, that you've put up to defend really how you're really feeling so so that for that reason alone and actually it's a, it's a really good song all in all but I chose this song it may have also been yeah I think I put her on random on Spotify which may have been how I heard her and this was one of the first ones to come up that that got my attention so Judy Sill the Phoenix alright number eight this is probably the most embarrassing on the list uh, I heard the song as a pop song that I just kept hearing around um, in stores and one day I was in a pet store and I heard it on the radio I was like this is a really well crafted song and it's the song Rude by the band Magic and I, no I don't like any of their other songs um, my whole family I've tried to say this is a really well written song don't you think and even my kids who like pop music say no it's not really that good but to me it's it's very well crafted it's very sweet as far as a lot of songs you turn in the radio you know this is it's a very sweet song and it can't be you know you the the first thing people would say is oh this is white reggae they really want to be offensive about it but it's not because the lead singer he's a Canadian of Pakistani origin so how is that white reggae yes I know I'm a little defensive Alright, number nine. I was looking forward to this compilation to come out for a while because I'd gotten into Arthur Russell. I probably should have put some Arthur Russell on the list. Um, but, again, I have to just stick with what I actually put in Spotify, not what I wish I had put on Spotify. So, around this time, um, the Arthur Russell uh, tribute album came out, and Red Hot always does these really good compilations. I was really looking forward to it, and it is really good. It's really um, consistent, and it merges sort of the dance music with um, avant-garde music with sort of singer-songwriters, and uh, it sounds like the kind of disc that, you know, according to his his partner, um, he would have really loved. So this is Sufjan Stevens, who also someone I've I've had a little I don't know I've never really got that into him. There's there's been some songs that are okay, and I I like that he's a Michigan artist, um, but this I think is probably the standout track from the entire thing. And uh, I don't know, maybe just listen to this for a while. And the last on the list is Bob Dylan from the uh, this the re-release of the Basement Tapes, which had only been available um, in limited form or as a bootleg before. And this was finally the year that I decided to try to tackle the bootleg tapes, which uh, Mike had told me was you know one of his fa his favorite album of all time. So I'm, that always you know is interesting to me when there's an album that I haven't really gotten into and somebody is just raving about it. So finally got it and it came out perfectly on time um, this year and I also got a chance to see Bob Dylan in Chicago which was you know something I'd always wanted to do my dad had seen Bob Dylan in I think 1964 or 5 in just the very beginning of Bob Dylan's career so it was kind of fitting that 
now I'm seeing him at the very end of his career for the first time. And uh, a couple songs stood out from this. Um, maybe is the version of One Too Many Mornings that, that um, was on here. So that's the one that I included. So that's my list. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you've had a good year. Definitely let me know if you have any feedback, anything you liked this year. Just let me know. You can check me out on Facebook or, or send me an email. Candleends at candleends.com. This review is of The Ice Balloon, S.A. Andre and the Heroic Age of Arctic Exploration by Alec Wilkinson. This book is about the Swedish explorer S.A. Andre, who in 1896, with two companions, attempted to fly a hydrogen-filled balloon over the North Pole. A remarkable tale of chutzpah and stupidity, Wilkinson interweaves the main narrative with stories of other equally courageous explorers of the Arctic. Included among these gems is an account of the Greeley Expedition, an ambitious but ultimately disastrous 1881-1883 through 1883 exploration of northern Canada, Nansen's Fram Expedition, whose men cleverly but unsuccessfully attempted to reach the North Pole by letting the current carry them there, and the Polaris Expedition of 1871, on which adventure 19 members of the expedition became separated from the ship and drifted on an ice floe for about six months before being rescued. All of these adventures took place during the so-called heroic age of polar exploration, and Wilkinson gives these brave men their due as adventurers and pioneers. But it seems clear to me from the slightly bizarre nature of the polar explorations that Wilkinson cherry-picked to describe in detail that he sees something of the ridiculousness in all of these misadventures as well. Yes, the men who ventured into the daunting unknowns at both ends of the earth were unquestionably brave, and they endured difficulties and miseries that are beyond comprehension. On the other hand, there is something almost grotesquely comic about the situations they find themselves in. All of the men who embarked upon these missions were aware of the dangers they faced, all of them knew of the mishaps and disasters that had befallen those who came before them, yet they blithely set forth nonetheless, some for guts and glory, some for dubious scientific purposes, some perhaps out of sheer pig-headedness. And so Wilkinson relates the adventures of these men with appropriate respect, but also with what at times seems to be best described as wry incredulity. They did what? The hardships these men endured were so horrendous, so mind-bogglingly terrible, and so pointless, there I said it, that one almost has to laugh. Other reviewers have commented that this book only superficially relates the stories of the expeditions described therein, and it is true that there are other, more comprehensive books about Nansen Greeley and the Polaris expedition, but Wilkinson's book has a real charm, the outlandish, the courageous, and the downright foolhardy. This is the stuff of which he has woven his narrative, and I found his slightly irreverent style refreshing. Hi, this is Mike Schwartz, making his triumphant return to the Hunting for Candlelands podcast. On this podcast, I will share with you some of the songs that I listened to the most in 2014. And these songs actually aren't from 2014. They're just the ones that I return to the most. Now, the best and easiest way to track the tunes that I listened to the most this year was to look at my iTunes library and sort by the number of plays. Typically, those songs that have five or more plays were the ones that I considered for my list of the ten tunes that resonated with me the most in 2014. But there were also lots of LPs and other songs that I didn't load onto iTunes, 
songs people played for me or that I heard on the radio. So I had to gather all these songs and then re-listen to a lot of them and then winnow them down from a list of about 50 plus songs to come up with a top 10. And actually, who am I kidding? This really isn't the top 10 greatest songs that I heard this year, or nor is it really the top 10 songs that I heard for the first time this year, since I'd heard some of these previously. These are really just 10 of the songs, maybe somewhat randomly chosen, that I listened to the most in 2014. Now, I haven't included any songs that weren't released or that were released in 2014, since I'm going to create a separate list of my favorite 2014 songs. With maybe one or two exceptions, these are songs that didn't really attract the attention of the mainstream. If there is a common thread through these songs, that's maybe that they mix together disparate elements and genres to create something new, often beautiful and harmonious, and sometimes dissonant and abrasive. It's really hard to place these songs in a specific genre or tradition. They are true originals. I encourage you to seek them out in their entirety. I'll also put up a Spotify playlist, and I'll share more suggestions and next steps on my Twitter feed, at HappyWanderer13. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy these as much as I have. My first selection. So, I love going to flea markets, record fairs, and reissue labels to seek out ethnic recordings from around the world. Some of these labels are famous for unearthing stuff you might never hear unless you travel halfway around the world. Mexican psych, Persian pop, Vietnamese opera, and Turkish funk, to name just a few of my obsessions from 2014. Two of my three favorite reissue labels are located right here in Seattle, Light in the Attic Records and Sublime Frequencies. Light in the Attic also distributes albums from Faraway Sounds, which is a label that's based in Spain. I've gotten so much great stuff from these labels, and I played so much of it in 2014 that I hardly know what to choose to share. There's Erkin Kore, known as the Turkish Jimi Hendrix. There's the mysterious Nigerian singer William Wanyabor, the Brazilian songwriter Marcus Scari, and compilations of Saigon Garage Rock, Thai Pop, Psych Nuggets from Singapore and Malaysia, and topical folk music from Native American songwriters. But I have managed to narrow it down to two songs that got plenty of airplay from me this year. The first is Yekte by Alpay. Alpay is a Turkish musician who began his career as a professional soccer player, then became a lawyer, and finally became a Turkish folk musician. I have a deep love for Turkish music, dating back to a month-long visit to Turkey when I lived in Europe. Something about the mix of Turkish folk music and instruments with traditional love tunes and contemporary political protest, combined with psychedelic funk, progressive rock, and even disco influences, just makes this stuff so damn tasty. Electric guitar howls alongside the wails of the electrified saz. Ottoman melodies float on top of Keith Moon drum workouts. Science fiction narratives play out alongside street protests. All of it's fuzzed up with wah-wah reverb and studio pyrotechnics. This music is often referred to as Anatolian pop, and although the holy trio of Turkish music is Sem Karaka, Baris Mancho, and Erkin Kore, all of whom were backed by the band Mogoyar at various times. This year, I was drawn more to the singer-songwriters of Turkish music, Edip Aykbarim, Ersin, and Alpay. Alpay's songs are based in simple folk melodies with subtle psych effects couched in beautiful pop arrangements. He has chewed the more politically-oriented stuff from people like Edip Aykbarim and instead presented traditional Turkish folk melodies in a psych rock context. 
Take a listen to Yekte, the title track from the Faraway Sounds reissue from last year. I came across a great compilation of Omar Suleiman performances and Dabka dances on the great popular culture ar- archive Network Awesome. I'd heard about Omar Suleiman for some time, so I was delighted to find several of his albums on sale at a record fair in Georgetown, especially since his stuff can be super hard to find, that is, unless you have a cassette player and are willing to visit street markets in the Arabic world. The best way to discover Omar Suleiman in the West is to check him out online performing at Syrian weddings. The sight of Suleiman is immediately striking. He has an Arafat headdress, oversized sunglasses, and he stands calmly and impassively before a line of energetic Dabka dancers surrounded by stern-faced associates with his lead songwriter, poet Zuhir Maxi, whispering improvised lyrics in his ear. People will come up to him and give him money, and his longtime keyboard player, Rizan Saeed, drives the dancers into a frenzy. Dabka dances are Arabic line dances often performed at weddings that incorporate synchronized choreography and lots of improvisation. They are mesmerizing to watch, and no doubt to perform. Suleiman, who comes from Syria, is the go-to guy to perform music for these dances, which is sometimes referred to as Arabic techno music. Suleiman's songs feature heavy beats, spiraling synths, and samplers combined with traditional Arabic instruments like the oud, bazooki, and the saz. For a taste, check out his first hit, Yani, performed in a live setting on the Sublime Frequencies album, Highway to Hasaki. My wife and I do a big international trip every other year. Usually we bring back lots of music from our travels. Last year, it was Kai Luong folk music and opera from Vietnam and obscure 60s psychedelic music from Cambodia before the Khmer Rouge wiped out the entire musical community. Before that, it was Thai pop, Swiss string music, Afro-Peruvian music, and Mexican narco-corridos. But of all of our travels, I think we've listened to Indian music the most. In 2009, we traveled to India for a month. 
Now, I've always loved Indian classical music, and I got to hear some amazing performers, including musician casts of Rajasthan, Sufi devotional music in North India, street performers playing harmoniums outside temples to Kali in Varanasi, and many sitar, sarod, sangari, tambura, and tabla groups in restaurants and cultural centers. But soon after that trip, I fell deeply in love with more recent Indian music, music from Bollywood, the world's largest cinema industry. In the annals of Bollywood legend, four playback singers are the most famous. Lata Mangeshkar, Asha Boshle, Kishori Kumar, and Mohammed Rafi. These are the voices behind the faces. Literally, since the songs would be recorded first, and the actors would have to act and mime in sync with the songs. The recording and performing of the song was a kind of original act of artistic creation on which the entire Bollywood cinema rests. Now before I introduce the track I'm going to share, it must first be said that Indian singing takes some getting used to, featuring a completely different vocal timbre from Western music. At first, this can seem whiny or nasally to Western ears. I might also add that Indian music follows different notions of harmony from the West, with more of an emphasis on melody and rhythm. Western instruments and orchestras are used as melodic underpinnings to Indian instruments. And finally, a quick note about the lyrics. Most Bollywood films are either love stories or masala action films, with the occasional foray into horror and fantasy. Sometimes these are all combined in the same film. The lyrics tend to focus on simplicity and cliché. Boy meets girl, a village celebrates a festive occasion, a strong friendship develops, a monster attacks, or perhaps a rural villager offers up her prayers. Well, you're not going to understand the lyrics anyways, because they're in Hindi, but here is a track from 1966 featuring two of the greats, Asha Boshle and Muhammad Rafi. It's called Acha Acha Min Hun Pyar Tera, and it comes from the film Tisri Mansil. famous playback singers lurk behind the faces of famous actors in Bollywood films, the equally important songwriters, producers, and orchestrators are there behind the singers. People like Lakshmikant Peralal, Madan Mohan, Naushad Ali, Ravi and Shankar Jaikshakan, S.D. Berman, and S.D. Berman's son, R.D. Berman. R.D. Berman had a bit of a head start on the other writer-producers, having had a famous composer for a father and having studied the Sarad under the influential Ustad Ali Akbar Khan. R.D. Berman was one of the few composer-orchestrators who also sang on his recordings, and he's perhaps known for his, most known for his sexual guttural vocal delivery. However, what truly distinguishes him is that he is an unparalleled songwriter and orchestrator who is one of the pioneers at melding Western and Indian instruments together to make Bollywood music a global pop phenomenon. 
Bollywood music is the melting pot of world music. There is a long-standing tradition of borrowing pop music traditions from other cultures and combining them to create an exotic melange. Jazz, doo-wop, R&B, sunshine pop, blaxploitation, spaghetti western, synth pop, and the more ambient and experimental traditions are all mashed together, sometimes within the same song. Berman made liberal use of fuzz guitar, effects pedals, bold brass, tablas, and kick drums, as well as the Moog synthesizer, which he was one of the first to introduce to India. The late period track Dilena Kel Hai Dildar Ka is an example of how Berman combines eclectic musical traditions to come up with something new. Here he creates one of the finest examples of Indian classical techno, using 80s synthesizers along with Indian stringed and reed instruments, and the studio flair and trickery that he was known for. It sounds particularly contemporary compared with much Balian music that hasn't dated as well, and it influenced a number of Indian and Tamil breakbeat, acid house, and techno albums that followed for a brief period afterwards. Please enjoy R.D. Berman's Dilena Kel Hai Dildar Ka. My wife and I love horror films, and we love film soundtracks. At the nexus of these passions is the music of Italian giallo and horror films. Giallos are grand guinal thrillers influenced by Poe, Hitchcock, Fellini, and the French New Wave, full of surreal and amazing visuals that were prolific in the 60s and the 70s. They're somewhat difficult to define, but they typically involve plots about faceless or masked killers, subjective camera work, a neurotic heroine victim who establishes an almost perverse psychic link with her assailant. They've got bizarre serpentine plots, ingenious crimes involving Sherlock Holmes-style detective work, and frequent, spectacularly cartoonish violence. Unfortunately, many also contain illogic story, illogical stories, wooden performances, brutal misogyny, and gratuitous violence. But at their best, Giallos combine the best suspense elements of a Hitchcock film with 1960s themes of social unrest and urban turmoil, and are composed of visual flair and stylish camera work, bizarre characters and strange diversions, erotic images and subtle symbolism, ingenious plot twists, wacky humor, overpowering atmosphere, and, the reason I'm mentioning them here, incredibly ornate and often jarring musical arrangements that stick with you long after the film fades to a memory. If the giallo film genre started with Mario Bava, then giallo music could be said to originate with Ennio Morricone and the Gruppo di Improvisione Nuovo Consonanza. By the way, I'm likely butchering all of the pronunciations on this podcast, so just bear that in mind. 
This was an experimental group that combined jazz noir, minimalism, and pop with classical music, creating soundtracks full of melody and dissonance that became the perfect accompaniment to the surreal and horrific visuals of Jallo films. As a starting point, all of the Jallo film music trademarks are there in Ennio Morricone's groundbreaking soundtrack to The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Jazz and pop leitmotifs, studio atmospherics, improvisation in free jazz, vocalese, often by the great Edda Dell'Orso, a singer who added haunting wordless vocals to many scores by Morricone and Bruno Nicolai, and musical special effects like bells and the sounds of animals. But the field of Italian film composers is so much deeper than Morricone. Rome was crowded with academically trained musicians and film composers who came out of various conservatories and who worked incessantly and often anonymously on these soundtracks. People like Bruno Nicolai, Stelvio Cipriani, Piero Umiliani, Tio Usuelli, the rock band Goblin, and the solo work of its leader, Claudio Simonetti, Nora Orlandi, Bert Pisano, Fabio Frizzi, and many, many others. For this podcast, I'm going to fe feature Un Ombra Nel Ombra by Stelvio Cipriani from the film Satan's Wife, a.k.a. Ring of Darkness. Like many Jallos, and many Bollywood films for that matter, the film itself is largely to be avoided or watched in the right spirit of lubricious irony. But the soundtrack is to be savored and replayed. As you will note, I listened to a lot of film music in 2014. I've always been a huge movie score fan. I'm usually most captivated by unusual and quirky scores that hold up on their own even without the accompanying movie images. Very few of these are quirkier than the music Czech composer Lubos Fischer composed for Valerie and her Week of Wonders. Here is a quick description of that film by Andy Votel, taken from the liner notes to the Finder Keepers reissue. Quote, a Baroque surrealist folktale of a teenage girl's dreams and hallucinations as she experiences her first menstruation, set against a rural Czechoslovakian backdrop, the leading protagonist experienced fantastic repeat encounters with witchcraft, vampires, the living dead, perverted monks, and mysterious doppelganger distant cousins, all of which punctuate her journey into womanhood as the truth about her family's dubious past unfolds before her weeping eyes. Now here's Andy's description of the score to Valerie and her Week of Wonders. Quote, To accompany the spellbinding imagery, the film was given what is perhaps the greatest musical score of all the new wave features. For his 15th commission by Barandov, 35-year-old composer Lubos Fischer would provide the magnificent gossamer fragile score of pastoral orchestral folk songs, hallucinogenic soundscapes, and clockwork harpsichords, which would unconsciously mirror the burgeoning acid folk movement throughout Western Europe. Lubos Fischer was a prolific composer of both film music and concert music. 
He is uh, most famous probably for the pastoral chorale themes, which you can hear throughout Valerie and her Week of Wonders. I connect this music with the Baroque chamber music and early medieval music, as well as 20th century composers like Prokofiev and Stravinsky, and traditional Eastern European folk music. You'll definitely hear plenty of harpsichords, flutes, organs, acoustic guitars, bells, chanting, lots of dissonance, and also beautiful memories. Check out The Magic Yard by Lubos Fischer from the soundtrack to Valerie and her Week of Wonders. An observation. Think of how many songs there are by male singer-songwriters crying out that they need a woman to save them, whether it's sexually, emotionally, or romantically. To name just two of the best-known examples, there's Chris Christopherson's classic Help Me Make It Through the Night and Loudon Wainwright's Motel Blues. In their defense, these songs are not all miso misogynistic. These actually acknowledge the pathetic sentiments and desperation of their male narrators, and these two songs are full of irony and wit. But I'm not going to play either of these for you. Instead, I wanted to share one of these desperate love songs by a woman. It's Dory Previn's Lady with the Braid. Here, the fragile narrator of the song desperately pleads with a man to stay the night. The more she fills the air with her nervous words, the more you sense that she pushes her lover away, and the song gets increasingly creepy and sad as she continues to plead, before finally cracking open into something even more revealing. This is a very subtle and twisted anti-love song, full of surreal and creepy details. The cracked mirror, the frayed coverlet, the, quote, paisley patterned papered wall that the narrator papered herself, and of course, the weird sexual come on, would you like to unfasten my braid? It's all so spooky, desperate, and despairing, but it's also humorous and full of creative wordplay. Only a woman who came out of the traditional Broadway songwriting tradition was ill-treated by famous men, spent some years in a mental hospital after a nervous breakdown, and then emerged triumphant as a powerful feminist contemporary songwriter in the liberal climate of the 60s could have composed a song like this. Now a word about the songwriter. Dory Previn was initially famous as a stage and screen songwriter, and, you know, shades of her later skewed sensibility in her many solo albums do show up in her soundtracks to Valley of the Dolls and her title track to Last Tango in Paris. Uh, but she was also famous for being married to the composer Andre Previn. After Previn abandoned her for Mia Farrow and, spent, and she spent some time in a mental institution, uh, Dory Previn then recovered from years of abusive trauma and wrote some amazingly naked and confessional songs that included themes of abuse, trauma, abandonment, and eventually feminism and liberation. These themes all show up on her classic album, Mythical Kings and Iguanas, which features Lady with the Braid. The songs on this album cut through you like a knife, to borrow a line from that song. In the song Lady with the Braid, one of the most succinct on the album, Dory shares a lyric with Loudon Wainwright's Motel Blues. In his song, Loudon begs a groupie to, quote, come up to my hotel and save my life. 
Previn begs her lover to, quote, stay a while and save my life. But unlike Wainwright, who ends his song by wailing his plea in agony, Dory immediately steps back from hers in embarrassment, saying, quote, I don't know what made me say that. I've got this funny sense of humor. You know, I could not be downhearted if I tried. It's just that going home is such a low and lonely ride. Heartbreaking and brilliantly ironic, and emotionally honest and raw as it gets, here is Dory Previn's Lady with the Braid. This coverlet, my cousin, hand crocheted, hand crocheted. Do you mind if the edges are frayed? Would you like to unfasten my braid? Shall I make you in the morning a cup of homemade coffee? I will sweeten it with honey and with cream when you sleep do you have dreams you can read the early paper and I can watch you while you shave oh god the mirror's cracked when you leave will you come back you don't have to answer that at all The bathroom door is just across the hall You'll find an extra towel on the rack On the paisley pattern papered wall There's a comb on the shelf I papered that wall myself That wall spoke a little about this next song when I was invited by Neil onto Ann Arbor's local radio station, WCBN, so I won't say much more here. It's There's No Blood in Bone by the Poppy Family. The Poppy Family were a great, if largely forgotten, late 60s Canadian soft rock psychedelic group. They are sometimes classified as bubblegum folk. The mastermind behind what is basically a husband and wife duo is Terry Jacks, who later had a huge solo hit with Seasons in the Sun. This song has been sampled numerous times, and apparently Kurt Cobain was a huge fan, but it's best heard in all its original glory. Here's There's No Blood in Bone by the Poppy Family. Many great musicians died in 2014. Horace Silver, Paco de Lucia, Bobby Womack, Charlie Hayden, Tommy Ramone, Jack Bruce, Jimmy Ruffin, Johnny Winter, DJ Rashad, Jesse Winchester, Bob Casal, Pete Seeger, and Phil Elverly all passed away this year. But I'd like to commemorate two session players who died this year, both of whom played on and were key components of so many great classic rock tunes. They are Bobby Keys and Ian McLaughlin. Both Bobby and Ian were most well known for playing with the Rolling Stones. 
Bobby Keys is all over Sticky Fingers in Exile and Main Street and is one of the keys to the strength of those two albums. Okay, that's the last time I'll use the pun. He also kicked off John Lennon's biggest hit, Whatever Gets You Through the Night, with a sax solo, and he actually made it work. I was also a big fan of Keys, as he was a longtime touring member of Joe Ellie's band, and I've seen him a few times as he's passed through Seattle. He also played on Jim Carroll's Excellent Catholic Boy album. And now, after he's passed on, I'm discovering him on so many other albums. There he is, on Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On. He can be heard on several of Warren Zevon's best tunes. He's playing Jump Blues with B.B. King on Caledonia, British Boogie with Delaney and Bonnie on their first solo album, and assisting Eric Clapton on his debut. And since Joe Cocker also just passed away, it's worth noting that he was part of the ensemble that made up Mad Dogs and Englishmen. One of my favorite Stone stories about Bobby concerns how he fell out of favor with Mick Jagger, whom, with whom he had a contentious relationship. After being cast out from the fold, he wandered the wilderness for about 10 years or so, although he was also contributing to hits by nearly every other classic rock band at this time. Bobby's hard-partying companion, Keith Richards, wanted him back in the band. One night during rehearsals for the Steel Wheels tour, as the Stones launched into Brown Sugar, the tune that Bobby was most known for, Keith snuck him into the studio just as the solo was about to start. Bobby assumed his place in the song, playing the famous sax solo, and receiving a curt nod from Mick, ultimately resumed his place in the band where he belonged. Ian McLaughlin was a founding member of the Small Faces and then simply the Faces after they lost Steve Marriott and added Rod Stewart, and he lent a Booker T. Boogie to many of their greatest tunes. The Hammond B3 organ was his instrument, and it's there on so many classic Small Faces, Faces, and Stone songs. Tin Soldier, Ichiku Park, Three Button Hand-Me-Down, Love Lives Here, Miss You, and on and on and on. Modern roots musicians would often use him when they wanted to add a certain stone swagger to their songs. James McMurtry, Paul Westerberg, Ryan Adams, Patty Griffin, and Lucinda Williams all added his Hammond B3 organ and keyboard playing, and Lucinda included him on her, her, her most recent recording, which is now one of the last things that he recorded before he died. He wrote his own songs, too, and some are very good. Check out the faces You're So Rude and Never Say Never, the title track from his last solo album from just a few years ago a really tender song about his recently deceased wife. But for now, I'm going to play you Had Me a Real Good Time from the Faces' sophomore album, Long Player, since it's got both Ian McLaughlin and Bobby Keys playing on it. Enjoy Had Me a Real Good Time by the Faces. One more song before I leave. We're going to close with J.J. Kale's Magnolia. Magnolia seemed to be just about the most covered song in 2014, to name two notable versions out of the many that came out this year, Lee Fields and Lucinda Williams recorded versions of this classic tune. J.J. Kale passed away fairly recently, so this is another tribute. Wistful, beautiful, brief, it's the perfect song to close on. Thank you all for listening, and I hope to share more great music, movies, and books with you in 2015. Magnolia, you're sweet, you drive on me, man.
Okay, so that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Hunting for Candlelands. I apologize for the audio. I don't know, the audio sounds terrible, doesn't it? It's basically, I have this new computer, and instead of making it sound better, it's actually sounding worse, and things aren't working correctly. So I apologize for that. Here is a song. I guess this will be on my Bandcamp page if you want to download it. And in my quest to do the most miserable song ever, I think I may have succeeded. Ask me why I worry Well, I'll tell you why When people don't worry Then people die And I guess that I need people Why do I need people? Just to give me money And to stroke my ego I'm a people person Come here, have a hug Oh, do you have any drugs? Well, I'll lock up my front door I don't trust humanity Little tribes, they cluster around their fire pits, see They're waiting for a story Who will tell a story? Make the night less scary and tomorrow seem less boring. I'm a people person. I swear that it's true. I am just a person like you. I've been hearing on the news about the haves and have nots. I look down in my Memory of people in a white plastic bag. I'm looking for people in a pile of bloody rags. I'm a people person. Guess I'm out of love. Cause people, people who need people, well, we're fucked.